Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Good morning, Vietnam! I have you now. We came, we saw, we kicked its ass. Hello! My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious... You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. Yeah, that's right. It is the 30-something movie podcast. And once again, I am here with Pat. Hello, Pat. Hey, hey. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? I am. You know, I'm, I'm doing okay. I, uh, I've been playing. Uh, I told you earlier today, I've been playing Mr. Mom this weekend. Okay. Kids, where does mom keep the diapers? Thankfully, we don't need diapers anymore. But um, right. yeah, it's uh, it's been fine. It's uh, it, it's kind of funny because you know some of my friends, uh, some of my friends are like, "Oh, she's going out of town for the weekend. Are you going to need some help?" <laughs> no. I'm like, no, I, I'm the children's father. I'm fully capable of caring for them and keeping them alive and right doing everything that needs to be done. I, it's I'm fully capable. So yes, I, I I always I always enjoy that, and I'm saying this sarcastically. I always enjoy that when they automatically assume like, "Well, you're the dad, so you can't do everything." Yeah, I, I think that was old paradigm. I yeah. mean, I really, maybe maybe a generation ago, maybe, well, we're recording, so we'll just keep this, but think of some of our friends slash colleagues that might fit the bill with them, but. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, it's been fine. Uh, we did, uh, you know, we, we had a whole bunch of stuff we had to do on Saturday. We had birthday parties people had to go to and all kinds of other crazy stuff. And, and then on Sunday, um, we went to go see you and I were talking about this, which is why we just decided to hit record. Cause, um, on Sunday we went to go see Thor Ragnarok. Okay, cool. And it was excellent. It was, it was a lot of fun. Wow. It was funny. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give away too much of the story. I'm not gonna give away any of the story. Cause I know you haven't seen it. Um, but we, as we were talking about before we started recording, it was, it, I think, I haven't looked this up yet, but I think it still has the highest rating of any of the Marvel movies that have been made up to this point. Okay. It was, when we went on Sunday, it was at like a 93%, critics gave it a 93%, and I think I looked today, and it's at a 92%. Okay. Um, so, and some people, I've, hear, I've been hearing some people say, oh, it's the best Marvel movie that's ever been made, and... I will say, having seen it, it is, it's funny. It's, it's hilarious. There's a lot of humor in it. Um, action, a lot of really interesting visuals. Um, I wouldn't rank it as my favorite Marvel movie ever. Mm -hmm. Like, as we were saying, they've, they've had, they've made some outstanding Marvel movies that are kind of tough to beat. I mean, I'll, I'll rank it up there with some of my favorites, but when I think about like the first guardians of the galaxy, when I think about, uh, Winter Soldier, the the you started to mention the first Iron Man. I think yeah, for me the first Iron Man and the Avengers, those yeah, those, Avengers, yeah. or I should say the first Avengers. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I know, that, and it probably rapidly gets into opinion, but I mean when you go back and watch those, it's like oh, wow, 
These were really awesome. So, so it was good. It was good. And it was, um, you know, it, it did some stuff with some of the characters that I had been looking forward to for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, some character development for some of the characters that are involved. And, uh, and it was, it was just really funny. And it was, and so in that way, normally I wouldn't take my kids to go to one of the superhero movies until I've seen it first. Right. And like, you know, it's, there might be some extreme images and big fight sequences and like all kinds of other crazy stuff that might be too much for the kids. But I looked around at a couple of different places and a lot of the reviews I was reading said, you know what, that's actually a a pretty good movie for families. So if you want it, kids, you know, it's still fine. There were a couple of, and I don't want to give any way, anything away. I don't want to give any spoilers away for it since it's still only a few days old. Um, there were a couple of parts in it where I thought, um, that's a little intense for, uh, for kids, but I, we reached a point where my youngest is seven. So, you know, and, and she's seen, she's seen a lot of the other superhero movies at this point. Um, you know, she's seen wonder woman. She's seen guardians of the galaxy. She's seen ant-man. She's seen Avengers. So, uh, she's seen all the star Wars movies. So I, there were a couple of times, there were a couple of things that happened to a couple of characters uh, in terms of like injuries and things like that. And I was like, E that's a little, um, mm-hmm. that might've been a little intense, but you know, we got through it and it was fine. And the only thing I worry about is Nora came out of the movie and we, we always have a discussion after the movie and, and we always ask, you know, what was your favorite scene? Who's your favorite character? And her favorite character is the villain. Uh, I so get like, that a lot from Daniela too. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like our daughters are very similar. Yeah, I think so. No. Okay. So, yeah. She's like, oh, I, I really like uh, the, the bad guy's name is Hela. Uh, okay. She's the, the, goddess, the goddess of death. And so she's like, yeah, my favorite character is Hela. I'm like, Nora, that that's not what your favorite character is supposed to be. You're not supposed to. That's nah, fine. I like Darth okay. Vader growing up, so let's go for it. Whatever. Right. Well, maybe in this case, it's because it was a strong female that she was identifying with that. Correct. Well, and she really liked, she thought it was cool how she would go, um, a lot of the scenes, she has long black hair mm-hmm. and she she would take both of her hands and she'd start to run her hands. She'd start at the top of her head, kind of like, like she's going to smooth her hair back. And as she does it, she reveals like these antler type things, this antler crown headdress thing that she's wearing just starts to appear as she kind of brushes her hair back. Right. And Nora thought that was really cool. So she's like, yeah, maybe I could do that sometime. Like I could brush back my hair and I would grow moose antlers too. No, no, but you can, you can imagine that's fine. You can pretend. Yeah. You do you sweetheart. You do you whatever you want to pretend that's fine. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. And even the parts, um, and I think we took, I went with my, cause my wife's out of town, uh, went with my sister and went with my mother-in-law and even my mother-in-law commented, she's like, you know, there were some parts that were kind of intense and kind of violent, but a lot of times they followed up some really intense parts with some really quick humor. Okay. So, so it almost like, it almost lessened the impact of the, the violence. Okay. Well, that's so, good. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I did, you know, in, in some ways I did feel, I did feel a little bit better about doing one like this, as opposed to, I'm, I'm trying to think of like a alternative Marvel movie that I wouldn't have necessarily taken them to. Um, she, Nora might be a little creeped out by Dr. Strange. Right. Okay. There might be some creepy parts in that, that she wouldn't be 
as okay with, but mm-hmm. no, I, this was great. And you know, uh, Jeff Goldblum's in it. He was hilarious. Okay. Um, but yeah, so no, if you haven't, if you, if you haven't seen this one yet and this one, you know, there's enough visually going on. This one might be worth going to see in the theater. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, as I was listening to you talk, I was kind of thinking, okay, do I take the kids? Do I not? Now Dominic is eight. Yeah. So he, he's in the window of Nora and John Ezra. Mm-hmm. Danielle is four. So yeah. that might be a little bit much for her. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and keep in mind, my kids are screwed up. So even, you know, even Nora at age seven is, is probably not a normal seven-year-old. Right. Right. I've already, <laughs> I've already tainted all of them. So. Right. Right. They've, no, they've, been, adequately, they've been adequately corrupted. So. Right. No, I get it. I, and I've done that myself. Like the kids will see something and someone say, so is it okay for kids? Uh, you know what? Make up your own mind. <laughs> I don't want to tell you something. And then all of a sudden it's like, dude, what do you say? You know? So no, I totally get it. Yeah. But yeah, that was a lot, a lot of fun, a lot of funny stuff in there. And, um, I mean, you already know from the previews, the Hulk is in it. The Hulk was outstanding. He, I mean, he was probably one of the best parts of the whole movie. Okay. Okay. Hey, I, of the, of the three Thor movies that they've made, I will say this was my favorite of the Thor movies. Okay, cool. Which sometimes is not saying much because Thor two was not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, Thor, the first Thor, a lot of people don't like the first Thor, but I really like that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I, I, this one, I think edges out the first one just by a little bit. Okay. Cool. So, yeah. So, yeah, but I, I would say visually, because there's so much going on visually and we get the fight scenes, especially in that arena scene, that was probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. And I'm, I'm not going to go into detail on it, but the fight between Thor and the Hulk that's one that I, I kind of think you'd need, you'd need to at least see it once in the theater. Okay. So. Got it. It was well, like, maybe- it was like if somebody, if somebody had asked me if I should wait and see guardians of the galaxy on video at home versus seeing mm-hmm. it in the theater, I still think something like guardians of the galaxy, you need to at least see it once in the theater. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Got it. So, well, you, know, you, know you know what? There's not really a whole lot of other movies in November that, that people are necessarily going to be looking forward to going to see <clears throat> justice league. Mm-hmm. So, well, John, maybe what we should do is, uh, you know, like sneak out like uh, matinee after conferences or something. I, I could probably be fine with that. Yeah. Or maybe not. You know, I don't know. I don't know. It's all good. But uh, yeah, that one's definitely on the short list uh, of, of ones I'd, I'd like to get out and see. So I'm glad it's I'm glad it's an excellent movie. It's just sure been a wonderful, wonderful uh, year for movies. Oh, man. And I and even though even though I kind of joke, I, I'm looking forward to Justice League. I I fully yeah. realize it may be a hot mess going into it, but I kind of if if there's a movie that I'm going to sneak out, you know, the the Tuesday after conferences are over that morning, if there's a movie I'm going to sneak out and go see, I'm going to go see that one. Yeah, really? Okay, well, it'll be out by then, and I'm you know I'm I'm a glutton for punishment, so. Well, maybe I'll join you. I mean, if it's a yeah, I'll join you for that one. Okay. I know that some of the theaters around here do like uh, $5 movies on Tuesdays. So yeah, well, let's, we'll, we'll figure out the time. We'll see, you know, what time my kids are going to school and all that. So have your people call my people and we'll, we'll do lunch sometime. I think that sounds good. Now, now I really feel like Gordon Gecko. Yeah. Talk at you, babe. Now that I, now that I have people. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, right. So I had a couple of really quick new movie news things. Um, all right, man. Fire it up. 
into uh, let's jump into the first one, and I'm really sorry Jeff is not here because I know he would have loved this. Um, found uh, this one came out just this article came out just a few hours ago, and the headline is "Following Wonder Woman's Success, Red Sonia is Getting a Movie Reboot." Wow! All right. So this is from CinemaBlend.com, and again, like came out four hours ago, and they've been talking about a Red Sonia movie for I don't even know how many years, like ten years now. Probably and, since the first one came out. Yeah, probably. And and I know Jeff was not a big fan of the original movie and, and probably it just didn't even seem like he was a fan of the character at all. Um, but I, Red Sonja has been a character like I liked that movie growing up as a kid. And the they've had a really good comic that's been running mm-hmm. for the last few years or so. Like really good artist, really good writer. Um, actually met the artist and the writer both for the comic at one point and got autographs from them and you know, talked to them a little bit about the the comic and so I just, I mean, it's a character to me, it takes the, she's a character that is not necessarily super like wonder woman would be There's okay. no superpowers there, but it's that idea of like the, the warrior. Right. And just to, like the, the, you know, to take it and, and throw it on its head. You know, we normally have like the Conan, the barbarian, we normally look like, at the, the man warrior. Um, and I don't know, I just, and, it, and it's not just because she's in, you know, scantily clad chain mail stuff, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, it just something about something about that whole concept where it's the the woman warrior that is the primary character, and the men are all secondary. They're there to help her out, kind of like what you got with Wonder Woman, right? So I'm excited about it. I don't know. I don't know that they've said who's going to direct, and and they haven't. They definitely haven't chosen somebody to play her yet. But they were just announcing that they they originally talked about having a TV series, but now I think that they've mentioned uh, now that they've said a movie is going to be happening. I kind of think that that TV series is going to be pushed back. Yeah, here it was uh, in um. Last year, there was going to be an R-rated Red Sonja TV series that was supposed to be developed uh, by X-Men director Brian Singer. Okay. So they're not sure if that's going to happen now because of the uh, movie project. Uh, the movie project. Okay. So I didn't have anything more to say than that. I just I'm a big fan of Red Sonja, and we covered it a year or two ago on the podcast. So. Yeah. Well, you know what? I think I want to share my excitement with the world. We'll put it that way. Yeah. Hey man, if it's a good movie, that'll be pretty cool. Yeah. Well, if they can do half of what Wonder Woman did, that'd be totally fine. Yes, most certainly. So my other thing really, really fast was another thing. I actually found this also in cinema blend uh, earlier today. And this is just from a few hours ago as well. Uh, The news article says Disney might be preparing to buy 21st century Fox in a major media deal. Okay. That would be kind of a big deal. And <sighs> because there are currently, and this is how the, the article starts out. Currently there are six movie studios that, that are kind of the, the, the major ones, the superpowers, um, Paramount, Warner brothers, universal, Sony, 21st century Fox and Walt Disney. Okay. So uh, this is like a big merger. This would be like, um, yeah, this would be like Facebook buying Twitter. Okay. Or this would be like Walmart buying Target. Got it. Yeah. Interesting. So it would be kind of a big deal. Now, the article goes on to say that in order to avoid any kind of backlash from, you know, the talks of like monopoly and things like that, that they would have to be very careful about it and that there are certain things that they can't buy 
from Fox because I guess of, of federal regulations that say you can't do certain things. Okay. So they can't buy some of the TV channels or they wouldn't buy them uh, because Fox has their Fox sports and everything else, but Disney owns ESPN. Mm. So you wouldn't necessarily buy Fox sports because then that would compete with your own channel. Okay. Um, and then I guess, so I guess the main thing is, and this kind of goes back to some of our Marvel discussion a minute ago is, um, the main thing Disney would buy would be, uh, Fox's movie studio and TV production, um, networks. So they would buy, you know, they would buy all the different properties that 21st century Fox movie studios owns, which currently includes X-Men and fantastic four huh. so well, Marvel characters that are not currently you know, Marvel can't currently make those movies because Fox owns them. They would be able to now if Disney were to buy the 21st Century Fox stuff. Well, I was just talking to my buddy that was the that's the huge comic book fan. Um, yeah. And I mean, I would love to get him in a discussion with like you and Jeff, because like he is he is incredibly knowledgeable and he's kind of the one that, uh, uh, you know, would just loan me comics and say, hey, read this, read this. I mean he's the reason that I'm a, that I'm a Wolverine guy. I mean, you know, and all that, we were just talking the other night about it and he was saying, um, that he would love to see, you know, we were talking about Disney and just, and he's pretty high on everything Disney's been doing with star Wars and Marvel and all that kind of stuff. And he's like, yeah, I would love to see a Disney X-Men movie. Oh yeah. And he says, I just, I would love to see, cause he says, I'm, he, he says, I'm a huge X-Men fan. He says, I, you know, that's those are my guys. Wolverine. I'm a Wolverine guy. All that, and I've liked the movies, but yeah. I mean the Marvel movies are. He said are pretty awesome. So he says okay. I would love, I would love to see Disney give it, and and, uh, and I said yeah. Are they? I mean, and the Wolverine character can be brought back, right? I mean, Hugh Jackman retired it, but yeah. he's like, oh yeah. So you could do X twenty. You could do X twenty three. You could yeah. Don't tease me, John. I know. Don't tease me. I know. I saw a design. They actually do uh, the, the, where I order my comics online. They have a statue that I guess it's going to be for sale in December. And it's mm -hmm. a statue of X-23 in the like female Wolverine costume. Right. And I was like, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I haven't read it. I haven't read a bunch of Marvel comics for many, many years. I got really frustrated with them uh, when they did the civil war story. Yeah. Comics. So I kind of gave up on Marvel. So I haven't read a lot of their stuff lately, but you know, some of the designs for how the X-Men are now, they're kind of taking the X-Men back to the way they used to look. Okay. The, the characters that used to be in the X-Men books. So I, every once in a while, it, it makes me like possibly want to go over there and read some more Marvel comics, but I think that would be cool. And, and they've had in the last couple of years or last few years, they've had some big storylines. They did a whole storyline in the comics of uh, the X-Men having to go up against the Avengers. Okay like being something about, I don't know if it was like a mutant registration thing or what it was, but uh, you, you ended up having this big battle where the X-Men and the Avengers for some reason were on opposite sides of something and they had to fight. Okay. So I could totally see that being like a, you know, take, take the uh, Captain America civil war concept and you know, like turn it up to 11. Yeah. No kidding. I could, I could totally see that. So anyway, I don't know that I have a whole lot more to say about that. I just, I saw that just a little while ago and thought that looked interesting and had some interesting ramifications if it were to happen. Yeah, no kidding, man. No kidding. Well, I'm just going to maintain that, hey, you know what? More good movies, more better. 
if they make it and it's awesome, that'll be cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 for one would love to see more, uh, uh, big screen Wolverine. And, you know, if they take it in a direction that I don't want to see, then I'll just, you know, watch Logan every couple of days and be happy. Right. Watch your, uh, watch your X-Men movies and then go back and get the, uh, get like the DVD collection of the old X-Men animated series. Oh gosh. That's just such a great show. That was like a couple of weeks ago, I think was the 25th anniversary of that. Jeez. Awesome. And I was, and which then made me think, I'm like, you know what? Growing up, we had some of the best. I mean, in the eighties, we had these amazing cartoons. We had GI Joe, we had transformers, he-man, all that other stuff. Ninja turtles. Then in the late eighties, yeah, early nineties. And then I'm thinking, you know what? when we were older kids, we also then had the Batman animated series and the X-Men animated series. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like it was great stuff. We had a really good childhood. I, I don't know what the kids have now, but I'm kind of sad for them. Yeah. They, they got nothing. Actually, they're kind of stealing our stuff. Oh, and John, the nineties, you also forgot Brave Star. Oh, I did Brave. I can't, I don't know what, oh, I'm sorry. I need to. No, man. Hey, 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 hey. Over. I can't, uh, I forgot Brave Star, so I can't go on. Dude, you're the host, man. It's my job to help you out with that. Of course, you didn't forget. Brave well, Star. You know what? now, now, Pat, you're the host. Oh, no, no, we don't want that, man. You, I, 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 I bequeath my podcasting sword to you. That would be a disaster, dude, if I was the host. That just wouldn't, that just wouldn't, you know, be good. They could, they could play the trumpet. Uh, well, that's debatable. That's debatable. You know what I mean? 30 something trumpeting podcast for 30 minutes straight. You could play trumpet. Oh, cause yeah, people would definitely tune in for that. Uh, there's a niche market for it. I'm sure. Uh, there's a, there's a huge market for listening to trumpet playing. Uh, I don't yeah. think there's much of a market for listening to bad trumpet playing. So, you know, people listening to you play with your instrument. Yeah. That just wouldn't be happy. No, then no one would want that. That would be bad. Okay. That would break the internet. Okay. All right. Well, we don't want to break the internet. Uh, should we, uh, should we get greedy? Dude? I, oh yes. What a great, great movie. You love this movie. I do. I actually own this sucker on DVD and I'm like, why do I own this on DVD? Like it just, why do I own this on DVD? Well, because I don't own a Blu-ray player. That's listening audience. That's why it's DVD. The last time I like bought movies and it's like, Oh yeah, that's right. Because this movie is really good. That's why I own this movie on, on, on DVD. All right. Well, we're going to warn everybody real quick that we're going to spoil the events of the movie. So we will talk about stuff that happens, you know, in the plot of the movie. So just be aware of that. So this time around, we are talking Wall Street. It came out on the 11th of December, 1987. It was rated R and with a runtime of two hours and six minutes. Director was Oliver Stone, who, uh, Oliver, I love a conspiracy theory stone. Oh, yeah. Did Platoon, JFK, and Born on the Fourth of July. Producer for this one was Edward R. Pressman, who did American Psycho, Das Boot, and The Crow. Uh, I love American Psycho. That's one of my favorite movies. Okay. And the crow. Did you ever see the crow? Oh yeah. Oh, that's a great one. Um, writers for this one: Stanley Weiser, who also did the sequel, Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, and Project X. Uh, and another writer was also Oliver Stone, who did Conan the Barbarian, Scarface, and Platoon. Cinematography was done by Robert Richardson, who did Kill Bill and Inglorious Bastards. Music was done by Stuart Copeland, who did Rumblefish and Highlander Two: The Crappening. I'm sorry, The Quickening. Uh, budget for this one was 15 million and the box office was 43.8 million. 
starring Charlie Sheen as Bud Fox, who was in Hot Shots, Two and a Half Men in Platoon. Tamara Tooney played Carolyn. She was in Law and Order SVU and Flight. John C. McGinley played Marvin. He was in Scrubs, Platoon, and Seven. Hal Holbrook played Lou Mannheim. He was in Magnum Forest, North and South, and The Firm. James Karen played Lynch. He was in The Pursuit of Happiness and The Return of the Living Dead. Michael Douglas was Gordon Gecko. Uh, he was in Basic Instinct, Falling Down, and Ant-Man. Martin Sheen played Carl Fox. He was in The West Wing and Apocalypse Now. Terrence Stamp played Sir Larry Wildman. He was in Superman 2, Star Wars, The Phantom Menace. Sean Young played Kate Gecko. She was in Ace Ventura, Blade Runner. Daryl Hannah was Darian Taylor. She was in Kill Bill and Blade Runner. James Spader played Roger Barnes. He was in Baby Boom, Less Than Zero, and Boston Legal. Uh, this one for Rotten Tomatoes. I thought this one was really interesting. Critics gave it a 78%. Audience gave it an 81%. Now, mm-hmm. of, of the critics who gave it a 78%, there's a feature on Rotten Tomatoes, and, and before people start yelling at their phones or their car radios or whatever, wherever they're listening to this, I know Rotten Tomatoes is not the end-all, be-all for, for movie rankings and, and ratings. It's just the one that we choose. Mm-hmm. So there's all kinds of other options out there. There's Metacritic. There's all kinds of others, but this just happens to be the one we choose. I'm not saying it's the best one, but it's the one that we go with. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's what I thought was interesting. You can switch sometimes from a critic's score to looking at a top critic's score. And the top critics are meant to be kind of the more of the cream of the crop of the movie critic field. The name guys. Yeah. So like you're talking like a Roger Ebert or somebody like that. Okay. What's interesting about this one is critics give it a 78%. When you switch it to only scores by top critics, it's a 25%. Hmm. That's probably one of the biggest differences. Now, I haven't gone through and and looked at a whole bunch of other movies with this. That's probably one of the biggest differences I've ever seen in switching it from critics to just the top critics. Top critics did not like this movie. Yeah. So, uh, but here are some of these critics, and and some of these are the top critics. Uh, Jonathan Rosenbaum of the Chicago Reader said, let's see, are these all... I think these are all ones that would be considered top critics, and only one of them is positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and maybe not the one that you would have thought. Jonathan Rosenbaum from the Chicago Reader says, the sensibility of this movie is so adolescent, it's hard to take it as seriously as the filmmakers intend us to. Vincent Canby mm-hmm. of the New York Times said, Wall Street isn't a movie to make one think. It simply confirms what we all know we should think while giving us a tantalizing Sidney Sheldon-like peek into the boardrooms and bedrooms of the rich and powerful. He gave it a two and a half out of five. The one positive review that I wrote down here was Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times said Stone's most impressive achievement in this film is to allow all the financial wheeling and dealing to seem complicated and convincing and yet always have it make sense. And he gave it a three and a half out of four stars. Hmm. Uh, Cinema score gave it a B. Uh, The awards for this one, best actor, Michael Douglas, uh, got an Oscar for that one. Golden Globe, he won as best actor actor as well. And uh, worst supporting actress, uh, Daryl Hannah got a Razzie for this one. Mm-hmm. Here is my, uh, again, my uh, 30 second, 30 something, 30 second summary, the official 30 something, like 30 second. This is a good bit. I like this bit. I like this bit. I'm going to keep trying to do it. We're going to see, we're going to see if I can keep this up, but we're going to see if we can get 30 seconds in here. Okay. I'm going to wait for the clock. It's going to get to 30 seconds. I'm going to get going here and go.
Bud Fox sounds like a lovable Disney character, but is really a young stockbroker in NYC looking to score the big client in Gordon Gecko, a ruthless Wall Street player. Bud gives Gordo the inside scoop on Blue Star Airlines, where Bud's dad works. Gecko hires Buddy Boy. Bud starts spying and gathering intel for Gecko and starts making him lots of money. Bud convinces Gecko to buy Blue Star Airlines, make him president, and expand the company. Gecko buys but plans to break the company up. Bud gets his revenge by causing Gecko to lose big money to his nemesis, General Zod. Bud gets arrested but agrees to wear a wire and get Gecko to confess his crimes. Everybody's going to prison at the end. There we go. That was 30 seconds. I actually did that in 30 seconds. That was impressive, John. I'm just saying I'm very that proud. was impressive. I'm very proud of myself. I'm, I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. We, it, there's a lot of self-love in this podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's why we have the video turned off. That's right. All right. So here is the trailer audio, and we will be back in just a moment. From the director of Platoon, Wall Street. The stock is plummeting. When it hits 18, buy it all. Something big is going down. I want to know where he goes and what he sees. I want you, pal, to fill out the missing picture. Mr. Gecko, that's not exactly what I do. Where you can trade your honor. I can lose my license. That's inside information. For power. If you're not inside, you are outside. I know what this guy's all about. Greed. There is no nobility in poverty anymore, Dad. Greed is good. Greed works. What makes you tick, bud? The fear of being poor. That's all gonna change. So I'm catching the express. All right, Mr. Gecko. You got me. Trade your peace of mind. What's in it for moi? More money than you ever dreamed of. Just the beginning, pal. If any trouble does arise, you are on your own. The trail does stop with you. For a piece of the action. The richest 1% of this country owns half our country's wealth. Five trillion dollars. All it takes is a little inside information. I don't care where or how you get it. I think you owe me. And you can trade everything you believe in. You're using your kid. You're too blind to see it. For everything you've ever wanted. Uh, I get a strange call from the SEC. They asked to see my records. This is heavy, bud. I don't know where you get your information, son, but I don't like it. Michael Douglas. Why do you need to wreck this company? Because it's wreckable, all right? Charlie Sheen. When does it all end, huh? How many yachts can you water ski behind? How much is enough? Daryl Hannah. You may find out one day that when you've had money and lost it, it's much worse than never having had it at all. Martin Sheen. What I see is a jealous old machinist who can't stand the fact that his son's become more successful than he has. You see, he's a guy who never measured a man's success by the size of his what? An Oliver Stone film. Wall Street. Uh, so apparently this was the first movie to ever show someone using a cordless cell phone. Nice. That was interesting. You got the, mm -hmm. uh, in, in one of the lethal weapons, you had them using the phone that was part of the briefcase. Right, right. I remember those. This was the first one that they ever show somebody using a cordless cellular phone. Uh, yep. This is the only movie, I believe to date, uh, the only movie to win both an Oscar and a Razzie award. Okay. One for Best Actor Michael Douglas as an Oscar, and one for Worst Supporting Actress Daryl Hannah uh, as a Golden Raspberry Award. This one I thought was kind of interesting, and I, it made me think, and maybe kind of go back and look at a couple of scenes as to how they were filmed, because I, I don't know that I was really thinking about this as I was watching the movie, but it, it made sense, and, and I went back and watched them. It's, it's totally there. Uh, and this I pulled this from IMDb. According to Oliver Stone, he was, quote, making a movie about sharks, about feeding frenzies. Hmm. Um, 
the director of photography, Robert Richardson, and I wanted the camera to become a predator. There's no let up until you get to the fixed world of Charlie's father, where the, Charlie, he means Bud, uh, where the stationary camera gives you a sense of immutable values. The director saw Wall Street as a battle zone and, quote, filmed it as such, including shooting conversations like physical confrontations. And in ensemble shots, he had the camera circle the actors, quote, in a way that makes you feel like you're in a pool with sharks. Huh. So that was kind of cool. And then so then I went back and I watched a few of the scenes. And it's true. The camera is either always moving or circling in some way. It's like the camera is a, is a predator stalking its prey when you're in all those Wall Street scenes. Huh. And then you get to the scenes where he's with his family, he's with his dad, and the camera stays still. Oh, cool. So I thought that was really cool. Just a, a way of kind of showing that, you know, when he's there in the Wall Street situation, it's everything is moving. It's constantly moving. Like, if you if you stand still, you're going to die um, kind of thing. And then when he gets with his family, everything is solid. Everything is reliable. Everything is, you know, that's that's his foundation. So I thought that was really cool. I just want to throw one thing in for when you were talking about cast, you mentioned uh, Martin Sheen, the West Wing. Also, um, what's his name? Uh, Holbrook. It's not, it's a, is it Hal Holbrook? Yes. Mm -hmm. He also was in the West Wing as a bit part. He was the um, deputy secretary of state. Yes. Um, the guy that they brought in that always gave uh, President Bartlett a hard time because he was just, you know, and I really, I thought the character was so great because he just had such a deep understanding of world affairs, the military, and a complete modern understanding. Anyways, I'm getting into a West Wing podcast, but that guy was really, really good in the West Wing as well. Just wanted to throw that in there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do you remember the first time you saw this movie? John, it, I, uh, it must have been post-college. Okay. I think it was out, and I remember just because, I mean, I grew up and I never saw it. And then when I was like high school and college and able to start you know, watching movies like this, I was always into something that, you know, um, um, you know, had, had, had more action or something like that. And it, this never, it would never cross my radar. And then I remember seeing it and being like, Hey, wall street, I, I might check this out. Maybe it was like on one of those, you know, free movies you can get back when we had cable and you know, they, they have so many movies on demand or something. And I remember talking to my parents and just saying, Hey, Wall Street, I remember you guys kind of talking about that. Oh, that's a great movie. You got to see that. And then they start doing some of the greed is good monologue. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll check it out. And then, yeah, I saw it. I'm just like, holy smokes, this thing is pretty awesome. So it, I was definitely, I was definitely out of high school when I saw it. So it might've been with some friends in college or like post-college, you know, when like an on-demand movie. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I think same for me. I think it was probably during college or maybe shortly after then. And I think I was on, I think I was on some kind of a, I would pick, you know, some weekends if I wasn't going home for the weekend and I was still in college, I would pick like a couple of different themes for movies and I'd rent a whole bunch of movies that, that dealt with that theme. Cool. Uh, or I'd pick an actor and I'd rent a whole bunch of movies by that actor and I would just spend the weekend watching them. Okay. I remember this one was I had I had watched American Psycho uh, with some of my friends. Okay. And really, and really, have you ever seen that movie? No. Okay. It's uh, I think you would like it. Okay. I think you might like it. It's uh, Christian Bale. Okay. And it's um. Do you like Fight Club? 
it's been like since forever since I saw it. And it pains me to say this because I know it's one of your favorite movies, but yeah, I mean, I, I remember liking it, but I, I just, I've only seen it like once maybe. Okay. I, I think you probably would like American psycho. Okay. But yeah. Um, so I remember watching that with my friends and just loving that movie. And, and that movie is set in the eighties. I want to say that one came out like in 2000, maybe. Okay. Um, but it's set in the eighties and it's, you know, it's kind of these uh, guys working in the, financial sector and um you know kind of along that along the themes of like the excesses of the 80s you know you have all these movies or stories about how everything was done to excess uh in the 80s with you know especially with money and greed and uh power and real estate and, and just all that stuff um and very flamboyant characters and drugs and all kinds of stuff so i think i watched american psycho and then i then i decided for the rest of the weekend i was going to rent a bunch of other movies that dealt with the same topics mm-hmm. and so I think that's when i went out i think that's when i went out and i got i got wall street i got maybe uh might have gotten bright lights big city uh michael j fox movie um and probably a couple of other ones, but that would have been about the first time I had seen this one was I was watching a, just a series of movies on like all the craziness and the excess of the eighties. Right. Yeah. So that's probably about the first time I watched it. So it's probably like early two thousands. It was probably like right around, right around college time that I would have seen it too. I wouldn't have seen it. Wouldn't have had any interest in seeing it before that. Um, you know, like you said, this wouldn't have been one that was on my radar, mm-hmm. but I remember enjoying it. I mean, I remember liking it. Um, my mother-in-law loves this movie. Uh, she, she was excited when she heard there was a sequel coming out um, back in 2010 when they did the second one. Um, so she really likes it. You know, it's, it's, a fun, it's a fun movie. I enjoy watching it. I enjoy, you know, the characters in it. I don't know. I, I don't like it to the same degree that she does or I think that you do. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I enjoy the movie for what it is. Uh, you know, a kind of a look at all the things that were probably wrong with business and with wall street and all that stuff in the eighties in particular. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just, I think that the character of Gordon Gecko is a, is a fun one to watch. He's a fun villain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I enjoy watching the movie and this is, you know, this is probably the fourth or fifth time I've seen it. Um, okay. you know, so it's definitely one that every few years I don't have a, I don't mind going back to, you know, I, I wouldn't just, it wouldn't just be something I'd only rewatch for doing a podcast, but, um, yeah, so I mean, I think I think I'm, I think it's on my list of movies that are good, but not necessarily ones that I would own. And I know that you own the movie, so yeah, it's, it's a little bit higher for you. Yeah, it is. It, it, you know, and obviously the, the 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 characters that it portrays in there, you know, like the the villain uh, Martin Sheen plays a great character in there. I mean, I love the line when uh, uh, you know he comes walking up and. Charlie Sheen's trying to tell him like, dad, I got some money or something about money. And, and Martin Sheen just says, all I know is that money is just a royal pain in the butt. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, man, I I'm with that. Yeah, you're right. Money is just really, you know, so it was, it was great because, you know, you just had that, the, the, the good versus bad characters. I mean, you just had them right there. The guys wearing the white hats and the guys wearing the black hats. It's, it's, um, and so that was fun. You know, as far as portraying that financial piece, I mean, we can either, uh, you know, get delve more into that. I don't want to hijack the podcast or just say that these issues are, um, 
um, you know, more apropos in another podcast. But I, I just find that all very interesting. And, um, you know, sort of like you said, is just portraying the excesses of the 80s, but also just kind of showing this, this different group of in society, you know, this different, uh, this, I don't want to say different mindset, but yeah, just this different subset. And it's, it's fun looking back and saying, okay, well, that's pretty dated because all this was going on. And then it's uh, like, okay, well, it's pretty interesting because look at what this has morphed into over the last, you know, 30 years. And then what did the sequel, what was the sequel? Um, the tagline on it, greed still works. Yeah. You know, and then it's just like, you know, and it's, it's just like, okay, well, we're still dealing with, you know, uh, a lot of wealth concentrated in the hands of very few and um, uh, it being manipulated and the system being gamed, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's just, it's an interesting movie. I mean, obviously I know a lot of it is fictional and, and, you know, you got to always do the fact versus fiction with those, but uh Definitely a, a good jumping off point for some some interesting discussion. Yeah, the the uh, subtitle for the second one was it was Wall Street Money Never Sleeps. Okay, that was the that was the name of the movie. But. Right, but I I want to say I, I it was Money Never Sleeps poster or a tagline that said greed I, is still yeah greed still works uh, or and that's what it was because then he said greed you know for lack of a better word it works greed is good greed works. And I think it was something, I thought it was something like that. Greed still works. I could be all wet on that. Yeah. Um, well, and that, and that, that quote, the greed for a lack of a better word is good. Um, I think I didn't write this one down, but I think it was listed on one of those lists of like the top 100 most influential or, or most memorable movie quotes of all time. Right. So it's, it's in there, you know, and it's, you say that. And I think a lot of people, even if, even if they, you know, are not huge fans of this movie. I think they could probably tell you where that comes from, or at least they'd have a decent idea of where it comes from. Oh yeah. Even if they can't name the movie, they probably can picture Gordon Gecko saying that. Yeah. So I, I, a couple of interesting things about this is I, I enjoy watching this movie because I am not a financially savvy person at all. <laughs> like I, you know, to, to even just keep my head above water. I listen to like the NPR planet money podcast. Uh-huh. just so I feel like I'm not a complete waste of space uh, in terms of trying to understand that kind of stuff. And, you know, and, and that's not to say that I, you know, I don't have accounts and investments and, and things like that in certain places, but I am certainly not like if it was a, if it was a contest between the people in this movie and me, mm-hmm. I, they're going to steal all my money because I, there is no way I could ever possibly hold my own in a, in a room with these people. And they're, they're throwing out all these numbers and the three eights, this, and this, I have no clue what you're talking about, but it, it's entertaining to me because it's, it's like one of those things where, you know, you, you have no clue how to do something, but you enjoy watching other people do it. Right. Right. Like yeah. sort of like I feel when I watch the movie rounders. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar to that. So. Go ahead. I interrupted your thought. I'm sorry. No, no, that was, that was my whole thought was I, that's one of the things I enjoy watching about this movie is I will never, I don't want to say never. Um, cause we are teachers and we teach, we teach about the growth mindset and that you have the ability to learn whatever it is you want to learn as long as you persist. And, um, right. I don't think I will probably be on the level of these people anytime soon, mostly because I'm not going to put forth the effort to even try to do that. Cause that's not my chosen field, but, yeah. um, yeah, it's just, it's fun. It's kind of fun and interesting to watch 
these people do their thing. Right. Like it's, you know, anytime you watch somebody who's an expert at something, whatever it might be, whether it's a, you know, an expert carpenter or a pool player or a golfer or a race car driver, whatever, you watch somebody who's good at something and it's just fun to watch, even if it's not your thing. Mm -hmm. I think there's just something about watching someone at work who's really good at what they do. And that's kind of, that's the interest factor for me for this movie. Otherwise, I don't know that I would be too interested in this movie, Yeah, but just getting feeling like I'm getting a sense of what it would really be like to be in this situation, to be a fly on the wall, you know, watching these things happen in, in the 1980s in wall street. And apparently real stockbrokers, like the biggest fans of this movie are real stockbrokers because they look at this and they say, Oh man, this is like, you know, the nerds have their superhero movies. This is our movie. Yeah. Yeah. and they really tend to love it. And and there were, I read a few things where other stockbrokers and, and Wall Street types have said, you know what, this movie is the one that gets it the closest. When you see Wall Street stuff, you know, happening, maybe not today with the way technology has changed some things, but mm-hmm. um, they've said, you know what, of all the of all the other movies that depict Wall Street, this one probably gets it the closest than any of the others. This is probably the most true to life. Right. Right. So one of the things that I was going to ask is I was reading an article by uh, reading an article from Vanity Fair magazine from 2010 uh, about this movie. And one of the things, cause I, I, you know, I subscribe to Vanity Fair, so um, mm-hmm. I, I don't um, was that the article was kind of an interesting article because it was right around the time that the sequel was about to come out. And what the writer of the article was saying was that the first wall street while it might've been a successful movie, totally failed to do what Oliver Stone wanted it to do. Okay. And his point was that Oliver Stone made wall street as a way of trying to change. uh, Let's see. He had a quote. um, It was a quote vehicle for social change that Oliver Stone in a lot of his movies is trying to depict certain things in a certain light so that you change your mind about them so that you see them as you, as they really are. And it then will change society because of it. And so he was trying to show, so this person asserts that he was trying to show, and I think Oliver Stone has said this too. He was trying to show the worst parts of wall street and the worst, most depraved, um, you know, people, these people that just everything is about the money and everything is about, obtaining the money and all the way to the line that greed is good. Um, And that Oliver Stone was making this movie to show people, here's how bad wall street is. Here's how bad, here's how corrupt it will. It'll destroy the lives of hardworking people without a second thought. And yet when the movie became so successful, Oliver Stone was hearing from people that the message they came away with was, Oh man, Wall Street is the reason I got into working on Wall Street and I want to be I want to be when I first got into Wall Street I felt like I was like Bud Fox and I my goal was I want to end up like Gordon Gecko. Hmm. And Oliver Stone was like no that's like that's totally not the point of my movie. The yeah. point of my movie is that you should hate people like Gordon Gecko and that should be the villain of the story that we want to we want to get away from as a society. But he said that he's he's kind of felt bad how that worked out, where people end up saying, "Oh man, Gordon Gecko is so awesome." Mm-hmm. So I guess follow all that up with here's my question: 
do you think this works as a morality tale? If he's trying to use it as a social change vehicle, does it work or no? Okay, so it doesn't. And it's, I mean, what, <laughs> why do you think it would? Not you, John Reed, but why does he think it would? I mean, he's up against, he's up against like the number one drug in the, in the world, money. I mean, that's, that is the driving factor, unfortunately, and I'm not some, you know, pinko communist here saying this, but I mean, he's up against the driving factor in the world. I mean, it, it all comes down to the almighty dollar. And so, of course, there's going to be people that walk away from this movie and are just enamored with it because they want a bit of that glamour. You know, they want that fast lifestyle. I mean, everyone wants to, everyone wants to get rich. And yes, I am saying this with a degree of, of, of skepticism and a degree of uh, distaste because, I mean, I, I find it repugnant. But I mean, it, it is. That's, that's, that's what people want. It's like when, you know, Jeff and I, we had that discussion about movies that deal with the Italian mafia. You know, people like to see that glorified on the big screen because they all want to walk around in a fancy suit and want to say, you know, bada bing and have their number one enemy just taken care of. You know, I mean, it's there's it's it's dark, but there's there's a side of that that I think appeals to humanity. So I, I don't think I don't think that works as a social tale. I, I mean, you know, sure, Gordon Gecko's going to jail, but when he gets out, he's going to have a whole lot of money. I mean, sure, Charlie Sheen, you know, is going to jail, but we still applaud him because, you know, by the end of the film, the way they depict it is, you know, by God and by golly, he's, uh, he's, you know, going to go up there and stand him down and, and tell the truth and, and be the good guy and everything, you know, and, and redemption follows on the other side of it. I mean, they don't show the side of it where, okay, the company folds and you got people laid off and, you know, workers strike and all this other kind of negative parts of, you know, the other side of the economy. They they don't show that. They only show that top percentage. So, of course, people are going to be enamored by that. Yep. And, I, you know, and I, and I have to say, too, is, you know, back in the 80s, and I, and I encourage any of our listeners that are more knowledgeable, or to, please, please correct me, because I'm in no means an expert. By no means I'm, am I an expert. But in the 80s, it was, it was the investors, it was the high rollers. Okay. And not even that. I don't necessarily want to make it a gambling reference, but the people that were really investing, I mean, that was, they were on that, that high, higher, that higher level. Sure, there were the guys that, like what Charlie Sheen was depicted in the movie that were, you know, working their jobs and, and uh, what was the guy's name? We were just talking about, was it Hal Holbrook? Yeah. He was the guy that comes in and just says, look, you know, just do your job, work it through, you know, you stick to the plan, stick to the playbook. You know, we're trying to build industry and build businesses and so on and so forth. Very much like the um, Kanish in, uh, in uh, Rounders saying, hey, just grind it out. This is how you make a living. And, every, you know, th that's kind of what they were depicting. Then you get these, these high rollers that are, that are the ones that are just doing whatever it takes to, you know, make millions upon millions of dollars. The common, you know, everyday people, I mean, what did, what did, what, what did we, well, I don't want to necessarily we, but I mean, what did they do? They had pensions. Maybe they paid into their 401ks. I, I, 
I think 401ks were going on then, but they had their pension or they, you know, bought government bonds or so on and so forth. You correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was in the 90s, maybe late 80s, when they first started opening this up and trying to get, you know, people to buy into companies. And that's when the quote unquote common man could actually buy stock in the companies, you know. It was actually right around this time because it was there was a there were a couple of other things that I was looking at earlier that talked about that that this was kind of the boom of the the common man really being able to get into the stock market that you know you had what did I read there was a number of like only a million it was a million or maybe it was ten million something like that um, only about a million people had like mutual funds mm-hmm. and things like that in 1979. And the article I read was from 1994 and it said, you know what, by now there's at least 10 times that. Right. Well, that's 1994. Right. I mean, you know, we're 20 some years after that. So um, yeah, I think it was, I think it was right around the time, right around the, the turn of the eighties, just as the eighties were starting off. That's when you really started to have people get into stock market stuff, which is why I think you have so many of these like business stock market wall street type movies that come up in the eighties where you've got things like our movie next week, um, which, you know, we'll just here. We've already watched secret of my success and we're actually recording these two shows on the same day. So, um, mm-hmm. but our movie that'll come out next week will be secret of my success. And it seems like you've just got a whole slew of movies about the stock market and business and all kinds of stuff from the mid eighties. And so I think it was probably, and again, I was, you know, five years old at the time. So I don't know this for certain, but I kind of think this was right around the time that you really started to get more and more people, the common man dabbling in joining the stock market. Right. Dabbling in it. Because I mean, the thing was, unless you're going to sit there and, you know, follow world markets and world affairs and and make this your entire job, you're dabbling in it. And chances are you're going to lose money. I remember the, these commercials from, was it Smith Barney? You know, and their tagline was, invest with us because we make money. We make people money the old-fashioned way. We earn it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that was kind of the big, um, <clears throat> that was the big thing in my mind that, you know, that allowed people to get in with it. But I think that was it. Everybody wanted to, you know, have this dream that they could get up in the morning, shift some stocks from column A to column B. And then all of a sudden, you know, by the afternoon, have enough money to buy a TV set or buy a new car or something, you know, they just figured, okay, I'm never, I'm never going to be a millionaire and own six houses, but I'm going to be able to, to make this work, you know, and it. Well, I, and I think that's why this movie works. I think that's because this, this is one of those movies where your, your common everyday person, your average Joe could watch this movie and say, oh man, I just. I can't bring myself to do that. I can't bring myself to put like $10,000 into this or 20,000 into this. You know, I watch these guys in this movie, they put, you know, $20,000 into this. And then by the end of the day, they've made 12 million, man, I, I wish I could do that. I'm not going to, cause I, you know, knowing me, I'm, I'm going to lose my $20,000. But so I think it's that kind of, you know, the, the escapist fantasy, you know, a, a real world business, like escapist fantasy, where you could say, man, I wish I could do that. Totally, right. that, but I'm not going to risk my own money and my family's money, you know, for crazy things. So I'm going to watch people in a movie do it and at least get my kicks that way. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's funny because, you know, the whole idea of mutual funds and all that kind of stuff grew up, but then what you got to really watch out for now with that 
is that a lot of those mutual funds come with a high price tag because you're basically paying people to manage your funds. And you got to look at the expense fees on those and, and realize, okay, well, how much of you know my percentage earnings or whatnot? And um, um, you know, how much of, of my, my return, my rate of return, the percentage that I get back, how much of that am I paying in fees? And that's where one of the things that's come up now well, not now, but it's been coming for the last 15, 20 years, I think, is been, um, uh, 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 well, shoot, what do you call it? Oh, index funds, which, is, are you familiar with index funds? or? I, I know of them, but again, I'm, I'm kind of a financial idiot, so. Well, yeah, f- f- beware anyone, beware any, oh, go ahead. Take me to school, Pat. Well, no, I was just going to say, beware anyone that says they have all the answers, because chances are they don't, and they'll just mess you up. But the little bit of it I know is that now, and it's it's largely, I think it's the the Vanguard company is the one that, that really kind of started the ball rolling with this. They said, you know what? It's not sexy. It's not glamorous. But if you want to save for retirement, you get involved in a in a in an index fund. And what that is, is you can pick all different ones. You know, there's there's funds that are like a fund of the entire market. You own a little bit of the entire stock market. Yeah. Um, or you can get like the S&P 500. You can get the, you know, the small cap fund and all that. And there are different collections of different companies. But basically what it does is there is no buying and selling. It just tracks the market. And it's basically run by a computer. So the expense ratios are very, very low. And so what happens is, is the market goes up, your rate of returns go up. If the market goes down, well, then your rate of returns go down, but it's not like you're losing money by paying, you know, someone to monitor it. And what a lot of the analysts are saying is, if you want to save for retirement, you get involved with those, you put the money in and you don't mess with it. And you just keep, you know, socking money away. And they, and you know, and I read, um, there's actually a really great website here. We'll give them a free plug. It's called Mr. Money Mustache. And it's got a lot of really, really, really interesting things about how to save money, you know, how to take care of your money. Um, and it's, it really kind of, it's, it, it just gives you a different way to look at the world. So if you want to check out some really interesting stuff, start reading some of the articles on Mr. Money Mustache, but he did an analysis of it. And he said, you know, if the common person, okay, let's say they try and invest in a mutual fund as compared to an index fund, as compared to, well, they're just going to buy stocks and, you know, I'll buy a stock of these five companies. And, you know, his analysis said it's kind of the, the not glamorous, not sexy, just put the money away in an index fund. That's kind of what helps you get to your goals by the time you retire, you know? Um, And, and again, the whole irony is, I mean, maybe there were some teachers that were very savvy with this 30, 35, 40 years ago. But in reality, a lot of teachers, I mean, the idea was there was going to be a pension. Right. Right. I mean, and I think that's like, even, even in, what was that? I said, that's the idea. Well, that's the idea, but you know, let's get into talking about Illinois finances. As my, uh, as my grandfather used to say, if ifs and buts were candied nuts, what a Merry Christmas it would be. <laughs> yeah, that's right, man. That's right. Well, and related back to what we saw in this movie. I mean, even in this movie, 
um, you know, when he was trying to, you know, he was doing the Blue Star Airlines and he brought the head of the, what, baggage handlers and the head of the mechanics and all, all the union people. I mean, all of those folks that were represented, I can't remember, were they talking about a stock offering for them? They were. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, yeah. You, yeah, you that just, was one of the things that they, they were going to take a pay cut in that scene. That was the deal that Gecko was Gecko and, and Bud were making them was you're going to take a pay cut now, but, and if things improve, then, you know, we'll, we'll raise your pay and we'll talk about stock options for you as employees. If things don't improve, then the pay cut stays permanent and we need to make some other decisions. Right. Stock options was a thing that they were like an employee employee purchasing program or, or something like that. Right. But that it didn't seem, I mean, all of those folks, they were probably going to be on a pension. Yeah. I mean, I, I would guess that's what those jobs were. So, I mean, this whole thing, I mean, and now what do you hear? I mean, businesses are, are going all, you know, it's all 401ks and how much control do you have on your 401k and businesses match it for us. I mean, a lot of the talk about the, the teacher thing is to convert that pension thing over to an investment style retirement. So, I mean, you know, those things have been very interesting to see how the trends have changed there, but I don't know. I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling, but uh, it it, it just, as we get further and further away from when this movie came out, it's interesting to see, you know, the time period that it depicts just from a historical perspective. Yeah. This 30 something planet money podcast has been brought to you by Casper mattress. Yeah, that's right, man. Best like I said, you've ever had it. Yeah. Beware anybody that tells you that they're an expert because either a they're your buddy from work that, you know, is not qualified to be giving you financial advice. Yeah. Number one. And if he's smart, he'll say, Hey, well, this is what I've heard of, but go check this out from someone else you trust or B they're a salesman trying to sell you into some mutual fund or some something where they're going to be making money. Mm-hmm. So I know, I know that's the way the world works, but I'm just saying. Yeah. So I, I don't know what more we, uh, what more we can say about this movie. I mean, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun look where it's a fun look at what wall street was all about in the eighties. And I, I'm sure there are still parts of it that are the same way, uh, just maybe in a slightly different way. Um, you know, I, for me, like I said, it's, it's not up there with like my favorite movies, but it is one where I get to enjoy watching people do things I would never do with my own money. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I just, I, I enjoy it. I, I enjoy a good villain. I think Gordon Gecko's a, a fun villain to watch too. Um, some of the other supporting characters in the movie. Yeah. Not so, not so amazing. Um, Daryl Hannah, not a great job in this one. Um, so I'm, I'm not gonna, I want to, I don't want to go so far as to say she deserved the Razzie that she got, but you know, I cause I'm not an actor. So again, you know, the whole expert thing, I'm not saying I'm an expert on it, but, um, but I did, I will be, I go back to something that you said. I really enjoyed all the scenes where it was Bud and his dad, mm-hmm. and his dad, just trying to give him some of that old fashioned wisdom of, you know, Hey, look, you this stuff means nothing. The stuff you try, you, you want to actually build something with your hands, you know? Right. And I'm totally guilty of that. I can't build a thing with my hands. I'm really good with computers, but you stick right. a hammer in my hand and ask me to fix something, not a chance. But I think he was speaking metaphorically. I mean, yeah. I think, you know, just go out and 
what, well, and he said it, you know, go out and create. Don't right. just, you know, make As money off of other people's money. Right. So, all right. Uh, anything else you want to say about Wall Street? No, I mean, other than just going off and saying it was a fun movie and a fun character study and all that, and and I want to go on the record too of saying that you know, money is a part of our world, and I think what the the you know the one character was saying that hey, we're investing in things and we're building bridges and companies and all this. I mean, a lot of that is good, and I mean, a lot of that you know, people being able to buy into it you know, and being parted, you know, vested into these markets. I mean, that is what allows them to have money for retirement or allows them to help their kids afford college or, you know, there's a lot of good that can come out of it as well. Um, I, I don't want to just sound like, you know, an extreme, you know, like get rid of all the money, but I just, it, it's, it, I mean, then this gives the deeper discussion. There's just, an awful lot of that wealth concentrated in the hands of very few um, who don't always like to share. So, well, and the other thing that I liked about this movie is that even though it's trying to show the corruption of the whole thing, that there were still some good people in the system that Mm -hmm. it wasn't, it would not, not everyone in wall street was evil. Like I, I appreciated how in the end it came down to um, general Zod wanting to actually take the company and actually and to do something right. with it, you know, so the, the anti Gordon Gecko, actually the, the Gordon Gecko that's more powerful, you know, um, uh, was it Sir Larry was his name and, uh, that he actually wanted to do good things with the company. So I, I like that part too. Not just that, oh man, all of wall street is horrible. All of wall street is corrupt and depraved. And no, there are actually some people here who want to do good things. It's not an entirely broken corrupt system no yeah no and i think it i think it has a way of of writing itself i mean you know i mean there was the stock market crash in the 20s um the 80s i mean there was some economic times were real hard in the early 80s i mean in that whole that whole of pro business thing i mean that was largely led with the whole reaganomics idea you know cut taxes for the well, tell me if this sounds familiar. Cut taxes on the businesses and the corporations and the wealth will trickle its way down to, you know, the little folk at the bottom. And I, so I think there was that big focus. But then going yeah, into the I, 90s. I haven't heard anything like that this week. Never. And then, you know, you go into the, the, go into the 90s, there was a recession and, and all that. And, and then that kind of righted itself. And then we just came off the Great Recession, you know, in the in the what would it be the, the early two thousands or well, not early two thousands, but right which, around, which the, actually, I mean, that was the subject of the, of the wall street sequel was the 2008 to 2010 ish. Right. Uh, recession. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, and what did you have? You had that, you know, the housing crisis right. and you know, you look at that whole thing and again, it was people trying to make money. And I mean, now you could go, you could turn around and you could say, well, no one forced those folks to buy those houses and get into the, you know, the home loans that were above, you know, out of their element and all this kind of stuff. No one forced them to do that. They made their own decision. Well, yeah, but how much were those, you know, the people working for the loans or the people working for the banks and all that, how much were they really trying to, you know, 
help out and really say, hey, you shouldn't be getting into this house? Or how much were they saying, oh, no, 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 you can definitely get the bigger house. Let me show you how. Right. A little, and, little good. Yeah. And it's, again, I don't want to demonize anybody, but I mean, there was some stuff when Tammy and I bought a house that we sidestepped some landmines on. And it was like, you know, you look back on it and it was like, my gosh, we only, we almost bought into that. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not a very intelligent person, but I'm not, I'm also not an idiot. So, I mean, it's kind of like, here's me of average intelligence. I've had a little bit of education and I almost got suckered into this thing. And I don't know if it was, you know, nefarious people trying to, you know, take me hook, line and sinker, or if it was people ju that just bought into the, bought into the hype, you know? Right. And so, yeah. All right. Well, I, next week we're going to have a little bit more of a lighthearted look at uh, business in the eighties. Oh, uh, yeah. We're going to take a look at the secret of my success. Um, so in the meantime, let's see, we've got the rest of our, was the rest of our November, our money, money, money movies. Uh, so next week we've got the money, 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 money. Okay. Um, that voice cracked a little bit there. Um, but you got it, man. You got the pitch. You were there. It was all right. We, we got most of the way there. Um, so we got secret of my success coming up next week. And then after that baby boom. And then after that, can't buy me love. And then uh, possibly a bit of a recession with the justice league. Okay. No, Hey man. Hey, Hey, <laughs> I, you know what? I just gotta, I gotta, I'm putting up my shields. My shields are up right now. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know what, John, I, I, I hope that, I hope that justice league is the captain Kirk that has the prefix code that can lower my shields. All right. You know, here's the thing. I have, no clue, I have no clue if that made sense, but. Okay. So let me ask let me ask you this. Do you like DC comic book characters? I do. They're my favorite. Then you know what? Just, just go enjoy seeing DC comic book characters. I, I'm going to have fun. I had fun during Batman versus Superman. It's, it's not oh. a great movie, but I had fun watching it. Um, yeah. Suicide squad. That's a different story, but yeah, I mean, this, this movie has all my favorites. It's going to have all my favorites in it. So it could be a, a steaming pile of crap. And I'm probably still going to at least be entertained by it while I'm watching it. Oh Yeah. So, oh yeah! Wait a minute are you are you are you talking about the Academy Award winning the Academy Suicide, Squad? Award winning Suicide Squad? Yeah, I'm sorry, I forgot to I forgot to reference that. Yeah, we need to pay it. It's 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 due respect for being the Academy Award winning, the Oscar winning Suicide Squad. Yes, you're welcome, Jeff. <sighs> All right, so that's going to be our November movies: Secret of My Success, Baby Boom, Can't Buy Me Love. Um, we could also call this James Spader month because he's in this movie and he's in um, uh, Baby Boom. All right. I believe he is. Um, he had a lot of movies in 1987. Yes. He was all over the place. Uh, and then December is our leftovers month. We're going to be doing Fatal Attraction, The Disaster Artist, because I think we'll probably, <laughs> we'll probably go see that one. <laughs> um, and then Artist Goes to Camp, Throw Mama from the Train, and Star Wars, The Last Jedi. So those are our next several episodes coming up. And uh, I was thinking the other day, if we have time somewhere in there, Oh, you know what? The one I forgot to mention, Jeff wanted to do a Casablanca 75th anniversary. Yeah. Episode, so we're going to throw that. Cause I have still never seen Casablanca. Okay. Yeah. I'm right there with you. 
bits and pieces. So, um, so yeah, so got to, got to watch that at some point. We, we probably will have an episode in there somewhere in the middle of all that before the end of the year for the 75th anniversary of Casablanca. And then the other one I thought could be interesting to do is just do a, cause I took a whole bunch of notes at the beginning of the year of mm-hmm. like, what are some of the things that happened in 1987 that would be interesting to mention as we go along. And I thought originally of like just throwing out some little, like some little trivia type stuff in each of our episodes. And I failed miserably at doing that. So one thing that I thought could be interesting is if we have time, maybe doing like a year in review, like what happened in 1987. Okay. Yeah. You know, some of the political stuff, financial stuff, sports stuff, entertainment stuff. That's not necessarily movies. Uh, so if we have time, that could be kind of a fun one to just run through some of that stuff and talk about those kind of things. But we are we are very quickly nearing the end of our 1987 movies. So if you've got any 1988 movies you would like to share with us as we are starting to plan out for next year, uh, feel free to let us know. If you go to our website, 30podcast.com, that, uh, from there you can find all the other places you can get in touch with us. We've got a voicemail line. We've got email we're on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. I don't know. There's probably something new that's going to come out next month, and we probably will end up being on that too. But uh, oh, yeah. in the meantime, those are all the different ways you can get a hold of us. Uh, we are, if you want to subscribe to the show, we're on a couple of different uh, podcast services. So we are on Stitcher, Satchel, Google Play Podcasts. We are definitely on iTunes, and you can just listen directly from 30podcast.com. So, and I know that there's a couple of other, more than a couple, uh, podcast collecting services um that just they they find podcasts automatically and you know you can subscribe to them there too there's a whole bunch of others i've looked and we are on most of those too so if you are looking for a place to subscribe so you get us hot and fresh every time a new episode comes out then you can go ahead and go over to whatever your favorite one is and look for the 30 something movie podcast and we will be there so yeah until next time be excellent to each other thank you pat thank you john And we will see you all back here next time for The Secret of My Success. Uh, Be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies. We'll see you next time. appreciate the opportunity you're giving me, Mr. Cromwell, as the single largest shareholder in Teldar paper to speak. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're not here to indulge in fantasy, but in political and economic reality. America, America has become a second-rate power. Its trade deficit and its fiscal deficit are at nightmare proportions. Now, in the days of the free market, when our country was a top industrial power, there was accountability to the stockholder. The Carnegies, the Mellons, the men that built this great industrial empire made sure of it because it was their money at stake. Today, management has no stake in the company. Altogether, these men sitting up here own less than 3% of the company. And where does Mr. Cromwell put his million-dollar salary? Not in Teldar stock. He owns less than 1%. You own the company. That's right. You, the stockholder, and you are all being royally screwed over by these, these bureaucrats 
with their, their state lunches, their hunting and fishing trips, their, their corporate jets and golden parachutes. This is an outrage. You're out of line, Gecko. Tell our paper, Mr. Cromwell, tell our paper has 33 different vice presidents each earning over $200,000 a year. Now, I have spent the last two months analyzing what all these guys do, and I still can't figure it out. One thing I do know is that our paper company lost $110 million last year, and I'll bet that half of that was spent in all the paperwork going back and forth between all these vice presidents. The new law of evolution in corporate America seems to be survival of the unfittest. Well, in my book, you either do it right or you get eliminated. In the last seven deals that I've been involved with, there were 2.5 million stockholders who have made a pre-tax profit of $12 billion. Thank you. I am not a destroyer of companies. I am a liberator of them. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms. Greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. And greed, you mark my words, will not only save Teldar paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Thank you very much.